Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is episode number 240. Before we dive into that, I have to thank Pete Schrock for leaving us a review on the podcast. Pete, we appreciate that feedback. We want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Back Country podcast swag. So just shoot us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com. All right, in this episode, we're speaking with Baxter. Uh, Baxter's a guy that we got in contact with. He's actually a listener of the podcast, but he has a unique story um, as he has started his elk hunting journey. He actually filled three tags in his first four years elk hunting, which is impressive. Um, Baxter also has some other background and history just personally with hunting as well as other outdoor pursuits that made him someone I wanted to talk to personally. And let me tell you what, guys, this did not disappoint. Uh, Baxter has a unique perspective in that he's still learning, yet at the same time, he's had some success. And let me tell you, part of the reason he's had success is obviously his dedication and time, but it's also some outside-the-box thinking, and you'll hear about that in this show. I'm really excited to get this one out there for you guys. And Baxter also has a website, kind of a blog thing going on about hunting, so you can go check that out. There is a link in the show description. All right, guys, well, it's that time. We are super excited to be talking about elk today as it's preseason, and every day, man, it's just getting closer and closer and closer. So thanks for tuning in. Hope this one helps you on your hunts. Stay in touch. Let us know how your hunts go this fall. It'd be great to hear from you, see some photos, things like that. But today, right now, let's dive into this episode with Baxter and talk elk hunting. Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. Thanks for joining us today, man. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Excited to be here. Yeah. Tough, man. Um... There's a lot to talk about and excited to do it, but just go ahead and give us uh, any personal introduction background you want to share to kind of help listeners get to know you, where you're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Baxter Bowman, got super fired up and all about uh, bow hunting elk here for the past few years. That's cool. So elk, uh, you said five-ish years ago, was that your foray into big game hunting in general? You know, I actually started out... Uh, it was kind of a slow progression. It started out chucker hunting of all things, which is probably the worst possible thing to start out hunting. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then after that, uh, you had a grand a granddad here who you don't always talk to me about hunting, but I'd kind of been his fly fishing mentor of all things. And then he got me into the rifle side of stuff, did that for a few years, uh, and then jumped into bow hunting, you know, full fledged. It took a quit my job actually, um, for six months and, and spent some time doing that. So it was quite a transition. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> was that yeah. your first season then that you did that? You took the time off? Yeah, it was. Um, the story is a bit more complex than that. Actually, my mom was born and raised in the Bahamas, which is why the spearfishing stuff. Um, and I'd wanted to quit my job to repair a boat and sail it down uh, before it was too late. And, uh, I'd always wanted to do elk hunting. It was something that was kind of this dream for me. Um, and I knew if I wanted to do elk hunting, it was going to be archery. And so everything kind of came together in June of that year. Um, and it just dawned on me that, oh man, <laughs> if I'm going to do the elk hunting thing, now is the time. So bought my from that, but uh, <laughs> jumped full fledged into the first, first year of elk hunting, uh, which is pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, before we dive into that, we'll obviously hit the story about starting Del Cunt and lessons learned and all that. But the spearfishing thing, I got to learn more about. I have absolutely zero experience with spearfishing 
I don't know that I've ever personally talked to anyone who's done spearfishing, but it's been one of those things like from a, a very far distance I've seen. I've always have thought that looks super freaking cool. How did you get into spearfishing? Yeah, I mean, it's just basically underwater archery, right? It's uh, yeah, <laughs> it's a blast. Um, well, you obviously the Bahamas stuff. We went back there a few times as a kid, and there's a lot of really different flavors of spearfishing. Um, there's kind of the almost the trad spearfishing, which is just literally a sling and a spear that goes through the sling. It's like a slingshot. Uh, and that's how I learned there. Um, and very different stuff. You're in reefs, you're really tight with them. Uh, you're a few feet away, lots of little sharks everywhere, but warm water, kind of nice. And then uh, you know, I got so into it that I started doing it here in NorCal, which is a very different experience. Um, you got big, big sharks, you got really cold water, nasty kelp, really low viz, you know, a few feet sometimes. Uh, and you can use a gun for that. And then that's kind of near shore spearfishing. And then I even progressed out to what they call blue water spearfishing, which is, you know, open ocean, uh, big, big fish, floats, running lines, all that stuff. So uh, the full gamut. <laughs> How is that uh, regulated or managed, like in California specifically? Do they have obviously seasons and regulations on that? Yeah, they do. It's uh, they treat it kind of like sport fishing, but they actually let you go year round just because your success rate is so low compared to line fishermen anyway. Okay. And I mean, there's probably four or five hundred guys in all of California that do it consistently. Um, so it's a nice, like, it's a really cool sport because you don't really have an off season, and you between the fly fishing, the hunting, that you know, I've always got something I can do, which is a blast. Mm-hmm. That's cool, man. On this side of now having elk hunted for four to five years what like draw some parallels or things that you maybe realized initially or just kind of realized now like spearfishing relates to elk hunting or helped me as an elk hunter in what kind of way yeah i think um and we were talking about this originally there's really there's like three things that i i tell folks that are like the key successes to elk hunting at this stage you know one is maximizing your time hunting Two is like your physical conditioning. The third is kind of that learning mindset. So spearfishing hits all three of those things. Um, but I'd say it really taught me the first saying or spearfishing uh, that, you know, how much time are you spending on the bottom, right? Because you're not going to shoot a fish from the top. So it's really black and white. You have to be on the bottom to be successful. And I think that really was the biggest lesson that translated over for me with elk hunting, which is you know, maximizing that time hunting. A lot of guys go, oh, yeah, yeah, take a month off. No, no, it's more about the amount of time you spent somewhere you can kill an elk, right? So is there literally eight or 10 hours in a day you're with somewhere that you could take a shot or are you hiking around and spending a lot of time you know, getting to that spot just so you have an hour or two in the morning? Does that make sense? So the transition to elk hunting, let's, let's go back. You said you bought a bow in the summer, <laughs> not recommended before your very first year of elk hunting. You obviously had some time that you said you took off, which is unique, but to like relate it, you know, we hear from guys all the time who are starting in their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, they're just starting to elk hunt and they're just overwhelmed by like, where do I go? How do I pick a state? How do I pick a unit? How do I e-scout? Like going back to that point in time for you, how did you make those decisions? Uh, what did you learn about that process? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. And, uh, I'd like to retroactively say it was very logical, but it was just a lot of kind of beating around in the dark. <laughs> um, I'm a pretty structured guy and love to, you know, love to research stuff, but I remember, you know, what it came down to for me was you, where can I go? Right. And that pretty quickly led to over the counter tags in Idaho and Colorado. Um, and then a lot of the resources, 
you know, I think the great thing about elk hunting now is that there's a ton of resources out there, right? Between YouTube, between podcasts like this one, uh, websites, there's just a lot of guys talking about it. Um, so I think it was starting, starting big and then working down to the specifics of, of where we got, um, got to. So it's hard to remember exactly how I did that, but you know, right now I've got a little more structured version of it. Did you start you, your first time was in Idaho? Is that right? Uh, I ended up being in Colorado actually. Oh, yeah. it was Colorado. Okay. Do you remember why you chose Colorado over Idaho? Yeah, you know, the the ability just to drive up and pick up a tag, I think at that point in time, Idaho was kind of the same way, but I actually had a, uh, a teacher from high school, believe it or not, that had moved there, and she uh, she and her husband offered to let me hang out for a, a little bit, which when you quit your job is, you know, pretty critical. Not <laughs> 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 spending money on uh, hotels, so that was a big one. Yeah. Uh, so I ended up doing that, and you know, ran the numbers game with, uh, with the units and all that sort of stuff, and it... Uh, it just seems like that's going to harm you in a lot of ways more than it'll help you. So it was, Hey, let's not pick some bad units, but let's find some good one, good ones around where she's at. And then like a lot of guys, um, I went straight for a wilderness unit, which in hindsight is definitely not a great thing to do, but, uh, went there and did that. And, uh, you know, really, really crazy learning experience. Cause I kind of just ended up two miles off the trail, uh, and just pretty quickly learned that a lot of other people end up two miles off the trail in wilderness areas. <laughs> I was going to ask, why did you say picking a wilderness idea or picking a wilderness is a bad idea? Is it because of that? Because everybody else is doing it? Yeah, I think that's the main one. You know, I've been, uh, I was really fortunate to start backpacking when I was like five or six years old. So I'm really comfortable with it. Um, and I think a lot of other guys kind of have that same mindset of I'm totally up to backpack in a few miles, but I don't really want to leave the trail. And so yeah, I think they, everyone goes, if I'm going to go through the effort of backpacking, then I want to be somewhere. There's no horses, there's no ATVs, there's no X, Y, Z, which is a totally, totally admirable thing. But when it comes to elk hunting, I mean, I'm sure you guys hundred percent believers in this, but it's more important to avoid the people than find the elk, I think. And so everyone else was doing the same thing, which pretty quickly taught me that lesson of, hey, if I want to find elk, I've got to start doing something different. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about what that something different is? You feel like that's a, you can't share because it keeps other people from doing it type thing. Like how's your philosophy changed? Yeah, no, it's changed a lot. I think, um, I actually do a lot of combo backpacking and car camping, right? I think the biggest misconception about backpacking for a lot of guys is you get out away from people. And I think if you get you know, the, the double-edged sword there is if you do get somewhere far enough that, that far back in, if you don't find the elk, you're actually going to burn a lot of time getting back out to go find somewhere else, right? Uh, so for me, it's kind of this combo of you're going two to five miles in, but going into places, you know, up a thousand feet, pulling over on the side of a freeway where no one wants to hunt, not going to the trailhead, you're ending up in places that guys aren't, uh, and then going in there and you're just doing these really quick trips. And it's pretty easy, I think, after a little bit to figure out, you know, if the elk are there or not. So, you know, why burn time in a place elk are if they're around, then I'll set up camp. If not, I'll just hunt from the car. How are you determining how you feel about a spot that you hike in there? And as you said, determining elk are there or they're not, is that sign? Is it vocality? Like, what are the things you're looking for? How do you make that decision? And how do you maybe sometimes wrestle with that of like, uh, I'm seeing some things, but I'm not sure if they're here now type thing. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, and that's probably the hardest one to put 
put a finger on. I think you just kind of learn it over time, but you really, for me, it boils down to two things. Like, like you said, sign and then visuals because yeah, there's really different tactics when it comes to elk hunting, right? There's the guys, the Corey Jacobsons in the world that uh, they'll bugle and cover a ton of ground. Um, and then there's guys like me who might would rather, you know, hunt those 90% of elk that aren't vocal. Um, and I think, you know, it's, I'm looking for rubs, I'm looking for tracks, I'm looking for, you know, scat, I'm looking for any sort of sign they're there. But then I'll usually post up, I spend a lot of effort getting to areas I can see a ton of the ground around me. Um, and I have got a lot of my gear and systems set up so that I can carry water and get out of places where I'm, I'm constrained to being somewhere I can't see the elk. And so that way, if they're there, you know, they're big, they're easy to see. They're generally not that concerned about staying in the woods if they've got some good feed. So hopefully I'll see them in the morning and the evening. And then during the day, I'm all in there trying to figure out, uh, you know, if there's been any that have been through there in the day. Gotcha. So you like a bit higher country, a little bit more open country, that type of thing. Yeah, that type of thing. Uh, of course, you know, bugle a little bit too. Um, you know, if I'm really feeling gung-ho, I'm waking up at three in the morning and bugling just because they'll always come back, it seems, at that point, um, if they're around. Because mm-hmm. there's so much low pressure. But, uh, man, it takes a lot of effort to get out of the tent at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Dedication. Yeah. Um, cool, man. Tell us more about that first year. I, I mean, we... Uh, you went you essentially to skip ahead you like filled three tags in your first four years archery season as a beginner which is uh not common for sure (laughs) um but let's just talk about that first year so you have the time you're in a new place you're hunting a new species you've literally been shooting a bow for maybe two months uh how did the hunt start what were you feeling how did it progress like roll into that first hunt yeah, no, to address the the three out of four, I think uh, for a lot of guys too, like that, I'm very lucky with that. And I've, I definitely put in a lot of work and dedication and hopefully that shows too. But I think uh, a lot of that is luck, right? Now, and you'll see with the first story, a lot of it ended up being that too. But I, I definitely don't want guys to be like, oh man, I've been hunting two or three years and get one, uh, you know, keep pushing on. Like that's the best thing about elk hunting is it's a blast. Best year ever, elk hunting was the year I didn't get one. Um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so that first that first season. Um, yeah. So went in off the trailhead about two miles in, you know, the spot that uh, everyone picks. I've actually learned that you know, Josh Kirchner from Dial and Hunter was there. I met him the second year there, believe it or not. Um, seen a few other guys post the same spot to YouTube. And so I ended up kind of low. I think the trailhead was like 8,500 feet. You know, I ended up at like 95 or 10,000 kind of these meadows. And it was pretty quick quickly apparent that a lot of the tracks are old you know spent the first morning in there got hit by a hailstorm all the fun stuff that the beginners get to deal with right um and after that you've realized that i've got to do something like we talked about to get away from the other folks i saw one or two people a day um it ended up hiking up to about eleven thousand feet and pretty quickly at that point in time noticed there's a real difference in the amount of elk sign and stuff that was around. Um, and also realized that, man, it's stupid to be hiking up a thousand feet and down a thousand feet every day. Like I should just move camp to that spot. Right. Um, so got up there. Yeah. I started hiking around, had a pretty, pretty cool encounter with the bear of all the things, you know, thought I found an elk and hiked within like 20, 30 feet of it. <laughs> oh, that's not a, that's not an elk. Um, but when I started seeing the sign up there, it was like, Hey, this is a very different experience. When you see the fresh sign, like just the sharp edges, the, 
you know, the, the, the color of the scat, that sort of stuff. It was like, okay, they're around um, and they're being pretty silent. But after kind of, I think it was the third day, which is always a rough one for backpacking, as you guys know, that's like your, your lowest energy point. Um, I was hiking along and going real slow and looked up to my right and there was a cow at like 40 yards. She kind of just instantly, you know, woofed at me. I kind of froze. And then after like a little standoff, where I tried to get an arrow in the bow. She busted off and ran away with like a herd of 10 or 12 other elk. Um, it's a pretty incredible moment for me because it was kind of the first time I'd ever seen an elk in the wild. And uh, it was pretty excited, but it was also a huge, huge downer, right? Because you're like, hey, they're not being vocal. There's nothing going on here. You know, how am I ever going to get on one of these elk? So it's kind of the low point of the trip. Went to bed that night, you know, kind of down. And I remember waking up the next morning, and this is kind of where some of that learning mindset comes in, but just waking up and thinking, you know, you're here to learn, right? This might be a year, it might be two years, but it just don't worry too much about getting an elk. Just treat this almost as a scouting trip. And just from then on, like, go go look at all the places you marked on your map. You know, look at all the GPS waypoints you've got, all the effort you put into this. Just, like, go check them out and just cover as much ground as possible to see where the elk are. Uh, so that next morning, I woke up. I was hiking over this little saddle towards an area I'd marked on the GPS. Um, it looked really good. It was way up high, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And as I came over the top of that saddle, the first thing I heard was this faint bugle. And uh, it, but it was clearly within like a few hundred yards, right? And uh, you have to remember, this is the first time I ever heard this faint bugle. Uh, and since then, like, I actually do think a lot of elk in Colorado bugle. They're just super soft, right? You guys ever had that happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was kind of that that type of bugle. And of course, my heart rate jacks, right? I'm going to about 180. And, uh, and then I go through the whole mindset of, hey, is this a hunter? Is this not a hunter? So drop the pack, start hiking in. And I'm walking down, let's see if we can picture this. I'm kind of walking sideways into this draw with a creek in it from, you know, from one side of the creek. And I'm walking up this lane and about 50 yards from where I dropped the pack, I look up and there's this cow standing looking straight at me, just totally like locked me in. So for the next, literally it had to have been 15 minutes. I just stood there, just completely stock still. And that's that's one thing I've learned in fly fishing, like your body language and the way you approach things, that they're much more scared of how you approach them than they are the fact you're there. And that's a little different with fish and elk. Like if an elk knows you're there, it's gone. But you think elk are similar in that like, if you do not move at all, like they're and they're not sure you're there, they're not going to do anything. So it was totally locked down for 10 or 15 minutes. And then kind of had the biggest ethical question I've had in bow hunting so far. Um, she bedded down and I had a chance to whip up the range finder and she was at 82 yards. Um, and at that point in time, I'm shooting a five pin sight. And I know that the bottom of my sight is perfectly sighted in at 82 yards. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been shooting for like a month. You granted I was shooting every day, but I know I'm not ready for that. And I'm like, okay, I think this is good. And then it got real interesting because a giant six point bull walked out and started sniffing her. <laughs> wow. Like, oh man. Um, so I had that real quick back and forth. I think what it came down to was like, I, I know this is like a 60% chance. Like I don't want that 40% chance of hurting something or just watching this thing run off. You know, I was shooting at the time. I didn't know it was not the best thing, but was shooting expandables, which 
you hate each their own, but now I'm, I'm only a fixed blade kind of guy for a lot of reasons. Um, so ended up kind of debating that I was there for four or five minutes. And, uh, you finally got to the point of, Hey, this is not a shot I'm going to take, but let's just go for, you know, go checkers or wreckers and just try to stock in on this thing really slow. So started uh, sneaking around the back. And as I'm doing that, a four by five little raghorn pole came walking around the side of the Creek. And, uh, it's like, Oh man, here he is. So snuck around a tree. He walked around a tree at 32 yards and the rest is history. So that was, you took the shot with him quartering away and he went ripping off. Um, and I don't remember if I like fainted or just can't remember anything. You know, my brain was just completely yeah. short circuit. It's like, man, that just happened. But it was like the most, most intense 25 minutes of my life. Pretty incredible uh, stuff. Wow. So you got to be first elk on the ground and solo. That's yeah. got to be uh, interesting standing over the top of that elk going, what in the world do you do? Yeah, well, you know, it took me a while to find it. It uh, yeah, the shot was quartering towards me. It hit one lung, and it actually went back and got it in the uh, femoral artery, you know, the artery that runs through the back leg too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he ended up only going seventy yards, but it took me about twenty-five minutes to find him. I think you guys have been there, but man, that up down of like, I can't find this thing. Did I not make a great shot? Like, that's uh, that made me. 20 times more grateful that I didn't take that shot at 80 just because like the, the mental you know, jumping jacks you go through with doing that. Um, yeah. So when I got over, you know, found him, it was like two or two thirty or three. And I remember being, thinking, wow, this is the most incredible thing. You had all those moments. And then it was like, uh Oh, <laughs> 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 now what? Right. I'm alone. Um, and I butchered one or two deer from the rifle rifle hunting side of the, the story. And I'd actually been to New Zealand rifle hunting which is a whole other story in itself and butchered a few animals, but never anything that big and never anything solo like that. Right. Yeah. Wow. Just, just crazy. And to top it off, I forgot my, uh, <laughs> the sharpener for my knife, which, oh man, made life real interesting. <laughs> oh, had you, had you fully thought through the implications of like a specifically being solo B specifically the size of an elk and C the remoteness of that location. Like, obviously you just said you've done some deer, you've done some other hunting, you've done some butchering, but did you fully understand what you're getting into? I, you know, I had a good idea and I was at that point only three miles in, you know, I kind of said to myself yeah. mentally, Hey, four miles is your max. Cause I was also about 2000 feet up at that point in time. Uh, so I knew that was there, but uh, you know, I kind of gone back and forth between, Hey, am I going to pack this out myself or get somebody to do it? And I'd actually call the packer beforehand, arranged it. Everything was good. Um, but it had a really amazing story of trying to find that packer, which we can talk about in a second. So, you know, I had both options there and I think day three and a half, your first backpacking trip, I'd actually, we can talk a bit about physical conditioning later, but I was really good at cardio from a lot of triathlon experience and I'd over-indexed on doing a lot of weightlifting. And so I was actually in pretty bad shape uh, because I'd focused on weightlifting and not cardio, which I think is 90% of elk hunting. And I was like, okay, at this point in time, especially after, I think it was five hours of butchering that thing, five and a half hours, sun going down. I'm like, it's time to go get some help. Like go get the cavalry. So and then how did that, how did that work out for you? Oh man, this is, this is like one of those too good to be tr- like, you, you wouldn't believe it unless it was real life type stories. So got out, uh, that night to the truck in the dark, you know, and I paranoid about the bear, all that good stuff. Right. Cause I, he was 
within the fourth mile where I shot that elk. Put everything up, got down there, started to drive out, and I'd called the packer, but I didn't know exactly where they were and obviously had no cell reception up there. So I'm like, cool, I'll drive out, drive out to this highway. I'd seen their lodge on the way in. I'll go find them. Everything's going to be good. Get to the car, drive out. The road to get out is closed. They literally closed the road. <laughs> so now I'm like, great. The only way out of this spot is to drive like 20 or 30 miles across dirt roads. I don't know. So that's already, you know, one thing that's changed. So I'm now driving down this road about 10 or 15 miles into it. I don't exactly know where it spits out. I find this remote, like really nice lodge. I'm like, oh, great. I'll go talk to these guys. They've got a landline. Can probably call the packer. Pull up to the the front there and there's this little workout cabin and there's a dude in short shorts playing Shakira at 11 at night working out in the little cabin. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, everything about this is getting weird, right? I'm like, oh man, like I don't, do I take the handgun with me? Like I, it's just, and of course I'm covered in blood. This guy's just as weirded out as I am. And I walk to the door and we have a pretty good conversation that basically goes, hey, you're not going into this nice lodge with all the guests covered in blood. Um, but, uh, he offered to let me drive over to his place where his, uh, his buddy was and he could try to use the phone. Like, okay, great. All good. Thank you, sir. Get back to your workout. Drove over there. You know, this story could go on forever, but long story short, the guy, uh, I think they just legalized stuff in uh, Colorado. He was a little bit under the influence and watching Batman begins and, uh, was trying to get me to join him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, just, it's too crazy to be true, right? But yeah. uh, went and then he his landline was dead. So it gets even better. I'm like, okay, now I'm out of here, right? Like Bo Duke and it, just driving down the highway. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm going to get cell signal. I'm done with talking to anyone. This is weird. Um, got to the highway, tried to find the packer, couldn't find him. And the nearest town was like 30, 20, 30 miles away. So I ended up driving all the way to that town. Uh, just to get cell service, figure out where they were. Of course, they didn't pick up. Long story short, ended up at their place like two in the morning, pulled the truck up in front of the entrance to the main lodge. They couldn't miss me and just fell asleep, <laughs> like right in the back of the truck. And then they, uh, the guy woke me up at 4.30 in the morning, pounding on the, uh, pounding on the rear window. And then it was like an hour of negotiations and finally convinced them to help me go up there and get the elk. So pretty crazy wow. story. <laughs> Yeah, that's not, I, don't know, I haven't heard that pack out story yet. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty unique first experience, i got to say that. Yeah. Wild, man. So that was total time. You'd been hunting four or five days at that point then? I think it was day three. Yeah, day, day three. three. Wow. So, so you essentially took, you had time off to, probably it sounds like if you wanted to, be there the whole month, the whole season, and it took three to four days, which is wild. It yeah, it was crazy. I didn't expect that at all. Um, yeah. And I think it was a great experience too because it you know, it gave me a lot of time. You after that happened, I went and took care of the elk, got it to a butcher. You hung out with my my friend, and then took a lot of time to go back in there. Right. Um, I think a lot of guys have that question. You need tag out. What do you do? And you know, I think it's go back in, go scout for next year. Right. It's the best time of all to scout for next year. So did two or three other. You know, two to three three day trips in there to learn a lot about elk. Um, and I think it was phenomenal because when you have that mindset of I don't care if I get one or I don't care if I spook something or you know, there's just a little less anxiety there. You you do a lot of stuff you might not do, and I learned a ton from that process. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, most guys don't have that opportunity to just stay in, right? They got to get back to work, get back to family, get back to something. But that's uh, that's unique. That's awesome. Yeah, no, really, really lucky to do that. Um, you know, now you know, every year since then has been the typical you get a week of vacation kind of thing. So it's you've just learned to maximize the time on those trips because you get to you know, that experience is just so priceless. Yeah. What was it? Um, you know, you said that your I can't remember the exact words, but your favorite or your best year of elk hunting uh, was the year you didn't fill a tag. What was it about that year, that experience that uh, had that special value for you? Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things. You know, it was my first. The first two years were solo for me. The first uh, two trips, and then that third year, my uh, my wife was with me. She's taken up bow hunting. Uh, she actually grew up in Wyoming. Um, and her dad and brothers wouldn't let her hunt. So when she met me here in California, you kind of push it over the table real slow about month two or three. You're like, hey, there's this thing I do. <laughs> I kill things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, exactly. And she was like, oh, my goodness, I've always wanted to hunt. And I was like, done, ring, let's do this. Um, but no, she was so she started hunting with me. So it was part that. But, uh, you know, it was we let's see here what happened that year we almost got burned out by a forest fire so we had to like evacuate like crazy we almost got our tent blown in by a snowstorm and at the same time we had probably two to three encounters with elk every day and neither of us got one but it was just the most incredible trip because all the experiences and like being that close to elk and that close to getting one for so long it was such a cool week so in the the four years what states have you hunted then you have done that year that I took, uh, I took time off. I did Idaho or sorry, the year after that I did Idaho and Colorado. So I've done two years in Colorado and three years in Idaho. Any, this is so broad, but it comes up so often. Obviously it's going to depend what unit you're in, shoot what drainage you're in, but like general comparisons for guys who are facing those decisions. Not that there's one right answer between Idaho and Colorado, but obviously they're going to come up a lot because they're the two easiest states with over the count of the tags just any high level advice or thoughts on that or is it pick your poison pick what you can get the most time in that type of deal yeah no i wrote a giant article on this one so i'm trying to remember all the takeaways from that but you know, i think for me what i boiled down to is it goes back to that maximizing your time hunting you know if you're going to drive an extra half day to go somewhere i don't think your odds are going to be better and that extra half day hunting is going to always make you more successful so that's what kind of led me to idaho because i live closer to idaho but I do think Colorado's got some, you know, it depends on what part of Colorado to Southern Colorado, the elk actually, they come down, they feed up from timber at night versus Northern Colorado. They do what they do in Idaho, which is they come down at night. So there's a lot of different tactics, but generally speaking, Colorado, higher altitude, it's a lot greener. It's a little easier to stock in on things. I find just cause you don't have that crackle pop. You've got a lot of the time in really dry parts of Idaho. Colorado does have some relatively flat areas. You can get onto these plateaus. And um, I found Idaho is just always up down, right? No matter where you are, like <laughs> you're going to have, you're going to have up and down. Um, that's a big one. You know, obviously there's the restrictions around equipment, mechanicals, that sort of thing um, for guys too. And then also the tag, you know, for me as someone who does a lot of checker hunting and fly fishing, Colorado's got the, you know, the fishing tag integrated into it, but Idaho gives you the license that you can then really easily add other stuff onto. So, or sorry, Idaho does. So yeah, there's a lot of little differences, but I think at the end of the day, what, 
what I tell guys is like whichever one's closest to you is probably going to be best. Got it. So you mentioned Cop maximizing. Probably best to steer yeah. away from my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned maximizing time hunting is like one of the key takeaways that you feel has helped you, and we've talked about some of that, right? In terms of you know being in places where you actually can kill an elk and optimizing there, um, the flexibility and how much time you're spending going in and out, how you're approaching elk country. Um, one interesting thing that you mentioned, you have this concept on combining flights and driving and maximizing time off talk about that a little bit because i'd never heard of someone taking this approach of like breaking up a hunt the way that you have um for the time that you're allotted yeah no and i i mean this is one where i'm kind of giving away some of the keys of the kingdom i hope a lot of guys don't end up there at the same time i am right that's <laughs> uh i mean i think at the end of the day like we're all trying to help each other out and like the more time you get. So let me, I'll walk through what I do and then talk about why it's great. But typically what we'll do is the weekend of Labor Day, we'll drive out, maybe take one day off, drive out, and then we'll hunt three to four days. And then we'll actually drive the car to the closest airport, leave it there, fly home for the week, do the work week, then fly up the next weekend and take a full week off. So at the end of the day, for five days of vacation time, you're getting 10 days of hunting uh, when you combine the car and the flights, right? Uh, and the flight's only like 300 bucks. So for 300 bucks, you get an extra three, four days of hunting, which is one hell of a good deal, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And that also, in my mind, there's a lot of really good things for you. One, it, for guys that aren't acclimated, it gets you that first three or four day trip to beat you down and then test your gear. And then you get a week to go back, rest up. You get to figure out, hey, what's not working you know, what's, what's great. If you want to, you go into an area for the first time and Hey, it's just complete bump kiss. My, my B, my C spot doesn't work. You got a whole week to scout. Um, there's a lot of really cool benefits from it, but, but above all, it just gets you a lot more time out there. I like it, man. It's an interesting That's idea. Pretty cool, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've never heard of it. I like it. We, we did a podcast with a listener who, what did they do, Steve? They, dr- oh, they no, flew they to flew. Colorado, bought a truck. And drove yeah. Yeah, they were from Pennsylvania, and their plan was we're flying to Colorado with all of our hunting gear. When we get there, we're going to buy a truck on Craigslist, and that's going to be how we're going to get back with our elk and all of our meat and all that stuff. And that's what they did, and they got back and then just sold that truck on Craigslist in Pennsylvania. So, like, all these interesting ideas, I like it. Wow. Yeah, well, it's, you know, that's another one guys ask me all the time. It's like, what, like, how in the heck do I deal with that if I, you know, shoot something like day two days before I got to leave. Right. But I think the whole leave it there with a butcher and fly out and even rent a car is a pretty good one. Cause you can rent a car for a day or two for like 80 bucks. Like, and there's almost all of them run limited mileage one way. So it's, but wow, that's pretty creative. That's next level stuff. Another point you've mentioned on maximizing time is taking care of uh, like menial tasks before you go. And this is something we've, we've hit on in terms of just trying to be efficient. But for you, like what are those things that come to mind of, call it time wasters, right? That actually keep you from hunting efficiently. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's something that, you know, I'm like everyone else. I love to have my, my moment. And those are the things I love. It's like a spiritual experience to be out there and have time. But what I noticed is it's a real pain because you're doing all these things that you could have done beforehand that are burning again, the time you could have been hunting elk. So, you know, little things, right? Like I pack all my food in Ziplocs the week or before I go. So I've got seven to 14 days of food or however long I'm going to be there. 
just in Ziplocs in a giant bucket. Cause that way, when I get back to the car, I'm not spending you know, 45 minutes to an hour, you know, figuring out to have the right amount of stuff for each day. So if I'm come back in, I'm like, Hey, I'm going out for three days. I got three gallon Ziplocs. I'm out of there. Um, you know, that's one, I keep two sets of gear in the car. So I have a mattress in the back of my truck with a camper shell and I sleep on that. And I've managed to convince my wife to do the same so far, which is working out pretty well, but I'll actually just leave an extra sleeping bag or an extra blanket, extra toiletries, extra everything there. So I just leave my backpack completely packed at all times. So I come back to the car, I'll just swap out one or two things, food, and then I'm back out there. Right. Um, you guys have hit a lot of these things in the podcast before, you know, picking out multiple spots, marking them all on your GPS, you e-scouting ahead of time, all that sort of thing. Um, I'll also organize all my gear in just these little bins so that I know where it is. So I don't have to fuss around with it. But I mean, those all sound like pretty intense, but at the end of the day, like you're, you're taking time that you would have been burning during elk season and you're just moving it to a, a point in time where you're at home and you could be doing that. Right. So for me, it's a huge win to, to get more time in the mountains. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely agree. It's amazing how much time you can waste as a trailhead, like loading up a pack and getting oh, your food ready and all that stuff. It's crazy. And you're, you're looking at your little checklist to make sure you didn't leave something. And it's just, it's also mentally like taxing, right? Yeah. Speaking of like maximizing that off season time, the, making the best use of the time when you can't be hunting, you know, you're a guy who's hunting out of state, you don't have access to, you know, just randomly take off any weekend you want to and scout or anything like that, at least for elk country. So what are the things you're doing throughout the year to kind of either continue to learn or prepare for next season? And how do you just basically make the most of that time off, even for guys who are hearing it, you know, this podcast, this time of year, and they're not in a place where they can access elk country? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the Google Earth is incredible, right? Google Earth Pro, it's free. You can spend a lot of time in that. Um, you, that's nothing new. A lot of guys talk about it. So I'll spend a ton of time, especially now there's this great feedback loop where you go, you see stuff that you've seen on Google Earth. You now understand how it looks. So as you keep going and going to these spots, you get better and better at picking them out. So I'll spend a ton of time, you know, trolling spots, looking at different areas. Um, it's pretty incredible. You can even find elk on Google Earth now. Like if you look through the imagery, sometimes you'll see them standing there, which is pretty incredible. Um, but I'm going to get a laugh for this one for sure. I'll spend a lot of time watching elk hunting videos on YouTube, um, but not just in like, hey, I'm here to to watch them. I'm, it's looking at those and understanding what guys did wrong or what they did right. Like the ones I love to watch are the ones where the guys don't get an elk uh, because I think you learn a lot about their setup. And there was actually a point in time, you know, I think I'll release an article at some point where I'm literally every video I watch and guys don't get one, I'm categorizing why they didn't get one. <laughs> uh, but like, was it range? Was it their setup? Was it wind? Was it, and like so far it's it's almost always the range and the wind, right? Those are like the two things. So you were in this crazy era where you can have elk hunting experience sitting behind your computer, right? You can have those experiences. So watching a ton of those videos, you can learn from them. Um, lots of practice trips for me. Like I'll go, I go backpacking a lot. I'll go do turkey hunting, that sort of thing, just to go you know, backpacking for that, just to get used to it, right? Um, and then, of course, like I've listened to probably ninety percent of your guys' podcasts, a lot of other podcasts. I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly just doing that sort of thing because that mindset, I think, that's really going to make you successful, right? Um, for example, like at the range, a lot of guys know there's things the bow that 
going to make you have a bad shot. But have you ever actually gone out there and like torqued your grip to the left intentionally and shot or like put a ton of heel pressure on it and shot? You'll come out of your peep a little bit and shot. You like analytically approach that and say, hey, I just want to see what this does. Um, and when you do that, all of a sudden you go, oh, man, like that's the one thing that really throws an arrow off. Um, so just kind of that that mindset of like I'm constantly out here to learn and practice is I think that it's one of those things you don't realize it it helps you until it does, right? Like if one or two of the elk got shot, you're like, wow, that was a direct result of the way I practice. Yeah, I like it, man. When you say range is one of the reasons those encounters don't turn into filled tags, you're just talking about closing the distance. What do you mean by like watching those videos and it being an issue with range? Uh, guys just don't, you know, they either don't get the range finder up or they think they had the right yardage and they just miss. Like oh, it's, okay. So like miss sounds- shots because of misjudging range. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so basic, but it's, it's actually happened to me, right? I, uh, I nicked an elk right on the bottom of the brisket. My, I think it was second or third year, a small bull. Um, but it's just so easy to do, you know, I don't know why your heart's just beating. And like, I think there's this, you always go through this moment of like, do I want to get the range finder up or do I want to just not freak this elk out? And I think nine or 10 times out of 10, you always want to go for the range finder if you're, unless you're a hundred percent sure. Mm-hmm. yeah i think that that's a rule of mine if it's under over 30 yards i'm just ranging it's just too easy to make mistakes and and you, mm-hmm. yeah those yeah. seconds you don't think you have you typically do have yeah totally. yeah, yeah. i've done that yeah right and then you have them look at you too and you're like everything in you starts going nuts but they don't you know if they don't see you they don't see you right and okay. i think they're unless they're on alert like they're they can deal with a lot of movement and a lot of noise they're not that freaked out by noise it's just you know it's worth the risk (laughs) yeah got it you mentioned practice trips it's you know something we've mentioned it's so good especially guys who are newer and you're even saying you take practice trips but you also mentioned earlier you've been backpacking for decades so it's not something you stop doing you don't stop learning which i like i'm curious getting into like transitioning from backpacking in general to now backpack hunting like what are the things that stand out as differences be it gear mindset that type of deal um coming from that backpacking background and getting into big game hunting yeah well i think you're you know one of the big ones is very different season you know a lot of guys are used to ultralight gear and i think uh mark i know you you and steve mostly do a lot of tarps and a lot of quilts and things that are really impressive for guys that know what they're doing but i think for a lot of newer guys too i'd recommend things like full enclosure sleeping bags and tents just because you're the level of exposure and intensity out there can be pretty like, I think I've been snowed on every year of elk hunting, <laughs> you know, like been in a bad storm. So I think over time I've actually come back a little bit more to gear. That's a bit more protective. Um, cause it enables me to stay out there. Um, and so that's one, I think two is that like you're, it's very, very different you know, you're always, you have to be off the trail, right? And a lot of backpacking gear, like guys are basically using running shoes these days for backpacking because turns out walking on a well-defined trail isn't much different than hiking or walking on a road. So I think making sure you have like super stiff boots, you got a really good pack that's set up to you know, deal with heavy weights and heavy loads in off-camera situations. Like those are things that a lot of guys don't think about when they, they think standard backpacking, you show up in REI and the guy gives you you know, piece of advice, X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Come on. Um, you've been writing about your experiences, all cunning and man, all kinds of stuff from scouting to gear and all that. Like, so tell 
folks where that's at. And then I'm just curious, like, why did you start that? Why did you start writing and sharing it through the site and all that? Yeah. So, um, website's baxterbowman.com, B-A-X-T-E-R. Uh, so started writing and doing like a hunt elk in 2020 series just to give a little structure around like, here's everything you need to go do an over the counter bow hunting elk stuff. Um, elk trip. And for me, you know, I've always loved to write. Like I was just been something I love to do. Um, and so this is something I've been really, really passionate about for a long time. And actually one of the reasons I started doing it is there's a guy, one of the guys I used to manage at work, um, who's got Josh, he's gotten hook, line and sinker into this stuff. And a lot of it's been like the knowledge transfer to him uh, and how much I love teaching him. Like I really enjoy that process. So for me, it was a bit cathartic to do that. And I just kind of like it. And as a guy out in California, you're, you're pretty isolated from a lot of like mine hunters and that sort of thing. So figured I'd just go after it and have something to do on the side and just been trying to put as much of that knowledge in a format that guys can consume. Yeah. Uh, on the site. What are you, uh, what are your plans for this year for 2020? Yeah, I think, uh, we're going back, going back to Idaho, but, uh, we're having our first kid here in July. So oh, nice, <laughs> oh, good Congrats. luck. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> good luck on your hunt season. You guys, you know? <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's hard mainly. I mean, it's great. Like I'm really really blessed in a lot of ways. My wife wants to go with me, but she still wants to get out there. So we're gonna see how this all goes down. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna try to go back to that spot. I mean, I think the benefit of hunting this spot for three four years is like I know it inside and out for three years now. And so yeah, we're just gonna go back there. Didn't apply for any crazy tags or anything like that. But uh, whole new adventure in life coming my way. Thank you. New adventures in hunting, like what's, uh, you know, you mentioned you've done New Zealand. Uh, I know we chatted previously, you've done Axis Deer in Hawaii, so you have other great experiences, but like, it sounds like archery elk's been, you know, the bread and butter, if you will, but like, what what do you have your sights on to kind of continue to expand as a hunter? Yeah, we would have been going out to Hawaii tomorrow for a week uh, for Axis Deer, so that was a bummer, but you know, given the, given everything that's going on, that's like the least thing I can complain about, so um, but yeah, we were going to do that. Um, I think for us, it's, you know, for me, it, it's just more elk hunting, like a ton of elk hunting, right? That's always it. But I, I kind of thrive off of a lot of different experiences. So I spent a lot of time upland game hunting in the fall. I spent a lot of time fly fishing. I've been fly fishing since I was like six. Um, so I love that. Um, but pushing the envelope on your different places. So the access to your thing. And I would love to go back to New Zealand or both, both big ones. Uh, turkey hunting for me was was a new one this year. Um, I've never really done that because California public land for turkeys is pretty rough. Um, so went and got to strike out twice, you know, a little humility, which is fun. But uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mainly just getting as much time as we possibly can with that stuff. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, man, listeners, uh, go check out the site, baxterbowman.com, right? Yeah, no, appreciate it. Um, putting a lot of stuff out there. So if it's helpful, the guys love to hear from them. Cool, man. We'll stay in touch. Excited to hear uh, how 2020 goes for you. Yeah, thanks. Well, there you have it, guys. Don't forget, there's a link in the show description to go check out Baxter's website and some of the content that he has going on there as well, which you might find helpful. And again, you can contact us directly by email to podcast at exomongu.com.